Welcome to A Christian and a Buddhist Walk Into a Bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob. I am a Christian. And I I am back, Jacob. I, I, From outer space. Yes. You've dropped in here with that look upon your face. Look, you should have changed that stupid lock. <laughs> should have maybe changed your key, but you know. I'll talk to the library podcast yeah, studio about exactly. that. Yeah. Yes. Um, no, no, I'm I, I'm back from um from Thailand, Buddha Land, the the place where um And you're looking tanned, you're looking happy, you I, I, I actually have a question there. Am I actually looking tanned? Like I I I didn't wear any sun cream, so I should be, but you know Yeah, like you've got a little bit of pinkish yeah, yeah. on your cheeks. Like obviously you're far more tanned than me. That's just your That's usual inherent tanness, yeah. yeah. But no, there's a bit of pinkish happening there. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of pinkish on the cheeks, we have we 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 are joining joining our podcast today with a drink um it's a non-alcoholic cocktail it is yeah we're gonna find out there we go there you go Oy. nice very good um i had them in the house and i thought i'd bring them in and see what you thought it says dark and spicy welcome to a christian and buddhist bar review random drinks yeah that's all right yeah it could like it's missing the kick of rum or something yeah well, the, 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 it's kind of the point um so yeah that's right we're bringing the bar into the podcast studio um and definitely i didn't think of that yeah nicely yeah, done yeah, yeah there you go um so look uh we thought we would kick us off today with just another little rambly episode as we i want to do um i've just been to thailand thailand is a place with lots of buddhism i i have some thoughts about lots of buddhism but i'm interested to hear your thoughts and questions about it as well um have you ever been to Thailand, Jacob? I haven't been to Thailand. I've been to Cambodia and I've been through Singapore, but never been out of Changi Airport. That's okay. That's probably as close to Thailand as I've got. So tell me about your trip to Cambodia, because that's probably the closest uh, the closest link we can make to kind of the Thai Buddhism thing. Lots of like little Buddhist statues and stuff. Yeah, really? Wow. Yeah. Um, I was there actually for a church building project. Okay. Uh, um, building churches in Cambodia. Bold. Building churches Bold. in Cambodia. Well, a sorry, community center okay, because you're yeah. not allowed to call it a church for legal reasons. Um, yeah, I thought the communist government might get at you for that one. I, I don't know if it's so much the communist government as just the kind of... There's a lot of Buddhism in Cambodia. And actually, the, the pastor who we were working with, his father had been a Buddhist monk. Yeah, okay. I never got to ask him about that, but yeah, yeah maybe one day. But... Um, Obviously, so um, in Phnom Penh and Siem Reap, there's Buddhist temples that have Buddhas and, and look kind of broadly as you would imagine them. In a, We were staying in a hotel that was more of a Chinese tourist hotel okay. than a Western tourist hotel. Yeah, they're, they're really big on that at the moment in Cambodia. They're chasing the Chinese tourist dollar quite heavily. Yeah, and, and it seemed to be working if you're middle class, lower middle class Chinese holiday destination but yeah a bunch of little buddhas kind of in there with incense sticks sitting in front of them and bits of food and stuff that the little buddhas could presumably eat and stuff so it was a i got a real taste of sort of cultural buddhism through Mm. that if i could put it that way yeah yeah and it's interesting right so i think you know i was going to save this till later on we can we can jump straight to it i am one of the things that i found the most interesting about Buddhism in Thailand. So, I mean, just for some background, let's really do some background first. Um, Thailand is obviously a predominantly Buddhist country. It's a mm-hmm. very Buddhist country. It's one of the most Buddhist countries in the world. It's where your dad did monking for a while. He did for a little right? bit, yeah, yeah. He was in Burma. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, Thailand, Burma, and Sri Lanka and Cambodia are really the main Buddhist countries when you think of Theravada Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that kind of traditional Buddhism, the Buddhism that I am part of, is very 
are linked in with Thailand. Um, it's very, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's the state religion, but it's also a huge cultural and community thing. Yeah. Um, almost everybody is Buddhist. Um, there is a kind of cultural expectation for um, young men to, at some point in your life, go and do a period of being a monk. Um, often it's a year, but it can be a little bit less. It um, was Thailand that had the drug lord monk monks that we yes, talked about uh, the episode a monks, of months ago. monks and drugs yeah. is uh, yeah was was based on Thailand um but yeah so it's you know if you think about you know if you think about how England is Protestant mm-hmm. that's how Thailand is Buddhist yeah okay. it's 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 a thing it's abs- it's just so the, the Thai Richard Dawkins would describe himself as culturally Buddhist yes correct yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um so yeah so it's a massive thing um and it really pervades everyday life in a really, really big way. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I really noticed there, which um, I think I'm somewhat familiar with and that I have traveled through Southeast Asia and I get used to this, but I think uh, is probably quite different to Australia and honestly quite different to lots of other Western Christian countries and maybe analogous to South America with Christianity, but maybe not, is how visible and present Buddhism is in everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, there are Buddhas everywhere. Mm. You know, you know, not only are it's there... It's not uncommon to see monks kind of just wandering around in the, the robes and what have you. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, there are, at least in Bangkok, there's a there's a monastery every kilometre yeah. um, or at least a temple every kilometre and that, that has monks that are living there, that have monks that are doing that. You know, I don't know what the proportion of... Um, of the Thai population are monastics, but it's it, it's big. It's it's much bigger than you'd expect, um, and you know I, I think the the Buddhism there is very present. It's very on the street. You know, like not only are there monasteries everywhere and temples everywhere, there are altars everywhere. Mm-hmm. There are lots and lots of Buddhist statues. You walk into almost every restaurant and every um you know every every massage parlor, there is a photo of the king because Thailand is a military dictatorship that is obsessed with its monarchy and is also, you know, there's also a Buddha uh, yeah. statue or something, right? Like it, it, it's it's ubiquitous everywhere. And, and that I think is really different to the way we're used to seeing even Christianity in, in the West, in, in countries that, that have dominant Christianity. And, and probably the closest I could think of in terms of dominant Christian motifs is... Um, in parts of Germany, certainly where I've been, if you've got mountains and hiking trails and stuff, you'll have crosses on the tops of mountains and that kind of thing. But you don't see monks wandering around the streets or, no. or priests or any anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, it's it's interesting. I one of the things that I really like about that is, and and to me, this is maybe a uniquely Buddhist thing. I don't know, but definitely at least with Thai Buddhism, you. The Buddhism is really open to meeting people where they're at, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine whilst I was over there, and you know, it's it's very much this sense of, you know, there is Buddhism for everyone, and it's a different type of Buddhism, and it's you know acknowledged that it's okay that it's a different type of Buddhism. So yeah, you have temples where people become full mm-hmm. monastics and keep the rules. You have forest monasteries that go more extreme and. You know, people just sit in the forest all day and meditate, and you know that's you know a really common way of living life there. Um, but then you also have these street altars in Bangkok where people stop and pray for lottery numbers, where they you know <laughs> where 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 people are you know invoking Buddhist kind of thinking and thought and um, and you know Buddhism into their everyday life 
you know, as a way of, you know, just living their lives and, and, you know, and connecting with themselves and how they go about things. And I think it's something that I think is almost missing in Christianity in the West is that, you know, there is no minimum level of engagement required. I think for Christianity, yeah. you have to at least rock up to church. You know, you kind of, to be a Christian in the West these days, you do need at least to rock up to church on a Sunday or to engage in some kind of practice or prayer or whatever else. Whereas in Thailand, I, do, I don't feel that barrier is there. And I feel, I it was interesting to feel the, you know, to be poetic about it, to feel the beating pulse of Bangkok, um, <laughs> you know, beating in a really Buddhist way almost because of its acceptance of going, look, wherever you're at, you know, the Dharma will come and meet you there. I'd be really interested, I haven't experienced this, but to go to a big majority Muslim country somewhere in the Middle East and and to see what that experience is like. Because I, I think you're right about, I can't think of a place where I would feel like I could say that of Christianity, right? Like possibly going back to Western Europe, you know, three, four, five hundred years ago, that might have been the case, but I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I, so I, I don't have experience of Muslim countries in the Middle East, but I do have experience of Malaysia sure. and Indonesia, yeah. which are very, very large Muslim countries. Indonesia is the largest Muslim country in the world. Um, and I would say that the barrier is still there a little bit, you know, so there's obviously lots of uh, imagery and there's lots yep. of, you know, the crescent moon is everywhere. And like the, and, the call to prayer is yeah. sort of dominates the city at a certain and, time. And actually, maybe the call to prayer is an interesting way that it does that. But but also, even then, it's the call to prayer is calling you to come to the mosque. Mm-hmm. You know, and the mosques are very accessible. I've walked into many a mosque and had many amazing conversations with people in mosques. Um, they are welcoming. Um, the the mosque designers are very clever and they always make it the coolest place in the city mm-hmm. when the heat of the day you want to escape somewhere you go to the mosque um but it's still very much grounded in this place of worship and you know there's there's not a huge ability yeah people do pull out their prayer mats and pray at their shop fronts or whatever else during the prayer times on a friday but it's yeah there's not I, it feels like there's still a barrier and there's still a specificness to it. And and I wonder, you know, whether they would argue that that's a point of respect, that you do need to carve out that space for that. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm wondering what you're noticing that's different in Thailand, right? Like, because you they started with talking about, like, monasteries and shrines and that, mm. that kind of thing. Like, that, that's still physical infrastructure associated with it, right? Which, if that wasn't there, you don't have the same... Buddhist texture, or do you? Well, and so I think, I think there's maybe a distinction to make between monasteries and shrines here. Sure, right. So you know, like the the temples in Thailand are amazing, right? They're beautiful, and I, I'll talk about those in a little bit. But like, you know, the frequency of temples allows a lot of that, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, you can't walk for 15 minutes on the street without running into a temple. Um, but again, that that's a specific place. You're choosing to go in there. The shrines yeah. are a little different, right? The shrines okay. are on street corners. The shrines are just outside of shop fronts. The shrine, yeah, and they're not, you know, they're not places where you would sit and meditate. You know, like mm-hmm. you, you, I'm not going to a street shrine and sitting and meditating for an hour. That's a little bit crazy. Um, but you know, there is always a box of incense, and you can light some incense and put it there, and just you can spend a minute. 
there or you can you know yep. like it's so so like how you might in a catholic cathedral in one of the little naves yeah there, it's just on the street yeah and and, yeah. and and but even even if you're not spending any time there you're walking past it and mm-hmm. you're reminded of it and you're acknowledging it and you're you know you're you're in the presence of it and it's there and it's providing something to you in that um even when it's not somewhere that is that is kind of deliberately designated as religious or spiritual. So I'm curious as to how that plays out in Buddhism then, right? Like being a non-deistic spirituality, like what's the significance of having a shrine or, or, or that kind of the, the being soaked in Buddhism? Like I'm, I'm assuming from everything that you've said previously on the podcast that it's not a you can feel the enlightenment in the air or the something like that, but... Because in Christianity, or I imagine in in Islam and other deistic faiths, I can see that being just a kind of helpful reminder of you know to pray to God or the presence of God or a a, a Thanksgiving monument for something or, or whatever. So what's it doing in Buddhism? Well, I, I mean, again, I think to clarify here that whilst Thai Buddhism is Theravadan and is kind of non-deistic, it, it does blend culturally with a lot of other things. So it blends a little bit with Hinduism. So mm-hmm. I actually went out to a museum um, there. Well, it wasn't really a museum, but it was called the Erawan Museum. Um, and it was a kind of religious kind of site where some very rich Thai person had built, um, you know, a bunch of religious statues. And was, you know, it was weirdly predicated on this, like people aren't religious enough. They need to get more religious. So I'm going to build lots of places where you can walk around and kind of pray at different statues, but they're not inherently holy, but also, like, it's a big thing. And here is also a, you know, 50-foot elephant that you can see from everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. right on. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But um, but Erewhon is a um is a Hindu figure, right? Sure. It's a three-headed or 300-headed elephant represented with three heads because you can't put that many heads on a statue. Um, Sounds like this guy could have worked it out if it was possible. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but you know, a, a, a massive elephant that carries Brahma and whatever else and, you know, and, and makes it rain and all these different things. Um, and, you know, it's like, so there is a blendedness to it, right? So mm-hmm. some of those street signs, street shrines do, it's not just a shrine to Buddha. Like, yeah, you know, there are other figures. Kuan Yin is kind of present, who's the, um, the kind of, the more Vietnamese, Mahayana-influenced kind of bodhisattva that's pretty popular. Um, you know, yeah, there are there are some images of kind of Hindu-esque kind yeah, of, okay. you know, Brahma and, and not a heap of Vishnu, but, you know, yeah, some of that going on. And so how, how do you respond to that as someone who, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like how much do you buy into that theology and mm. mythology and, and then, yeah, like, like, it, is there a Buddhist purist in you that um, no. reacts to that in some way? Or? Well, and, and maybe this is the lesson of Thailand: is that don't be Buddhist purist, right? Like, and because I, I think the, don't be too attached to yeah, the Buddhism, cause, right? Because yeah. the beauty of it is, like, yes, there are those kind of you know other figures and deities, whatever else. But actually, I think the real point that I think is relevant here is that you know. I think Buddhism being non-theistic almost allows it to have that kind of street presence in a way. So, you know, what that shrine to me is really saying is not stand here and pray to the Buddha and you'll get a lottery number. Mm -hmm. But it's saying, remember the Dharma, remember Mm -hmm. the teachings, right? And because they are teachings and because they are lessons, they can be remembered and placed into your life just by these kind of subtle pressure reminders without it being a you've got to stop and pray. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be a you have to meditate for 30 minutes a day in order to properly understand this and you're then you're going to be on a step to enlightenment. It can just be, hey, remember, don't be attached. So when you're driving down the street and you're getting annoyed at the traffic and you see a Buddha shrine, it can just serve as this memory of just like, hey, don't be too attached. Yeah, okay. don't, be, don't be too frustrated, you know. And like it, it can reinforce the Buddhist teachings or whatever speaks to you as a Buddhist in that way that um that I think that I think is allowed for by the fact that the religion is non-theistic if that makes sense it what everything that you're saying makes sense but the thing that I'm I, like I just I think theistic religions could do that in the same way if they wanted to right like um right but they don't right like this is this is what I'm trying to to work out. Like, is, is there something inherent in Buddhism that lends itself to this? Because I, I can see exactly the same thing as just kind of reminders that Christ is present, say. Or in Islam, you might have something that reminds you of the five pillars, say, or, or like in, in a similar kind of vein. Because because they're not like they're they're not religious practices that are absent teaching as a as a major core of practice yeah and and, and, i mean maybe the difference here is that in buddhism there's not the same things are not imbued with the same holiness as they are in christianity which Mm -hmm. is ironic to say because thailand is one of those places that really likes its relics and really likes (laughs) all these other things and there's a whole bunch of there's a big tangent i can go on about that but like yeah it's um there's a there's a lack of kind of you know there there is there is dharma in everything in a way that it doesn't have to just be, you know, things that remember the five pillars because the five pillars matter or well, things that almost, remember a cross because a cross matters or, you know. Almost maybe like sort of an, an absence of authority yeah. within the tradition, like a, a um, an absence of policing almost, which is very much present in Christianity and Islam just to, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually interesting with an absence of policing, right? Like, you know, when I say Buddhism is everywhere, it really is everywhere. You know, I went into bars and there is Buddha shrines and statues, yep. right? And Buddhism... How does that work with the... No- anyway, Well, yeah, 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 exactly, right? Exactly. Buddhism has a precept against alcohol yeah. consumption. It's a thing. You know, um, I, I didn't go to any of these places, but I'm sure that you could walk into some of your, as they call in Thailand, soapy massage parlors mm. and find Buddhist iconography there, right? Like, like there, there are all sorts of places where you would think are you know they're too base or too you know like kind of too removed from the path and the teaching yeah. right yeah but, but yet buddhism finds its way into those places and i and you know i find that really interesting yeah mm. so you were talking before about like the iconography and saying mm. I- ironically if it's not valuing holiness but then there's all these little like blessed things what's yeah what's yeah. going on there okay all right so I, actually I, I i can show you this and i can i can tell you about for the, for the listeners i'm pulling out a little um amulet that i got i'll take a photo we'll put it on the put on the facebook page yeah, yeah yeah um so so i'm what i'm holding here is an amulet i have um that is a jade carving of a buddha um and so iconography is really interesting in thailand because there is a lot of um, there is a lot of iconography. There's a lot of kind of like holy relics and that kind of stuff. And just being a massively Buddhist country, it's just got a random amount of just like very impressive stuff that is just very <laughs> subtle and like hidden. So I got this amulet at a place, uh, so at a temple. I, I went to Thailand ostensibly to play in a board games tournament. We will be doing podcasts about that in the future. So don't don't worry, dear listeners, you'll hear about that. Um, but um, 
I was exploring the neighborhood around the board game tournament. This was just in the suburbs. Like this mm-hmm. was like 15, 15 minutes drive from the airport kind of place. This is like not your central Bangkok. Um, and I'm walking around and I, I, I come across this temple. I Google where the nearest temple is. I walk there and it just so happens that that temple has the largest jade Buddha in the world, as in the largest... Um, cut out of a giant jade stone, Yes, right? correct. Yeah, yeah. Giant, giant jade stone and a Buddha's been cut out of it. And it's the biggest one in the world. And it's it's gorgeous. It is it is phenomenal. Um, and it's just there in the suburbs. And it's just, it just happens to be there because that's where the monk who wanted to build it was based. And, you know... That's it. And, you know, it's a, you know, it's just, it's weirdly not special, yet it really mm-hmm. is. Like, it, it, that was one of the more, um, that was one of the more kind of spiritually connected I felt to a, to a statue about anything, you know, regarding Buddhism. And weirdly, yeah, it's just like, it's just there. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's in this little spot and there are lots of locals who come and meditate nearby. Like there's essentially a meditation center associated with that monastery. So it's, you know, there is some active practice going on. Um, and, you know, there are no tourists. Like, yeah. you know, I-, I took a group of people from, from the board games tournament with me one day and they were the only tourists that were there. Yeah, The woman who was there greeting people and telling people about it, like barely spoke English. It, yeah. you know, it was not a place that tourists went to. Um, and yeah, it was just like, this, there's just this thingy here and it's just there and like it, that's everywhere like there, there are so many holy relics or you know places with little with little things that are actually somewhat you know blessed or whatever else and and again i i, I wonder how much of that is the kind of the cultural desire to have things that are holy and the cultural mm. desire to have that um i but also maybe the prevalence of you know we talk we talk before in buddhism about the dispersion of power right where yeah. um if a monk is kind of considered to be have become enlightened, they can then make things holy, and like it doesn't have to be from the Buddha, you know. So when Thailand has so many monks and so many supposedly enlightened monks, you can get a kind of almost endless production line of holy <laughs> things because you know the amulet the amulet I'm wearing has been blessed by a monk who was you know thought to have been enlightened. So it's like you know, you know, if you take that all to be true, you know that this amulet is kind of a holy relic that, a does it extent. do anything to the amulet other than like a, a just nice that it's uh, been in contact th- with there's a sense of like imbuing it with particular yeah it, it you know what does the Turin shroud do right like the, the, the jesus well i would say nothing it depends how you feel about holy relics right like yeah, totally. if you believe in holy relics yes it does something if you don't believe in holy relics yeah probably not yeah you know yeah so, yes, it's a thing. <laughs> so, well, well, what does Jamal believe about the the holy relics? Um, look, 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 I I think there is definitely um there is definitely credence to the idea that a monk who is enlightened can, you know, can impose a kind of sentiment onto an object. Um, I, I, do I think that this object is now going to protect me from bullets or you know oh, sure. bring me good luck? No, I mean may, maybe I won the tournament when it when, when I was wearing it. So who knows? <laughs> I mean, but you, you know, you've yeah, talked about like um oh, ages ago on the podcast, like with. The meditation, uh, I think it was to do with particular sounds and the, the vibrations mm. sort of associated with that. Yeah. So I, I can see a theology that says, well, if someone's enlightened, that has an effect on the things around them in some way, like yeah. a, a, t- a tangible 
a tangible way. Yeah, yeah. and I, th- I think there's definitely that. I mean, that being said, right, there are also lots of monks that do lots and lots of blessingy type things that are just very generic, right? I saw a, I oh, of course. Saw, yeah. I saw a photo of a monk, like, you know, some, some where they were selling some objects that were supposedly blessed, and literally they had a crate full of the objects just sitting in front of the monk and the monk was just like tossing holy water on it and like nothing was individualized about each of those <laughs> amulets it was just no nah, just blessing everything around me i do a blessing here and a blessing there and a is there almost a mass production of kind of blessings well, then well, in this, a weirdly capitalistic well, this, is, this is kind of yeah. it right this is kind of my point which is that like there's a weird i think buddhism has this ability to kind of constantly produce holy objects because you're giving <laughs> holiness to people who are still living today and who are still, you know, today actually, you know, engaged in the art of, of making things holy. So mm-hmm. yeah, ab- absolutely, there's a production line and lots of people you'll see wear chains with lots of lots of different amulets that are supposedly blessed that have special powers and, you know, all sorts of things. In a, in a classic kind of folk religion well, sort yeah, of sense. Yeah, and, and to bring it kind of back to what we were talking about before, I wonder whether some of that, Again, is Buddhism coming to where you're at? You know, so if you're a taxi driver and you want a blessed Buddhist amulet so you don't crash your car, Buddhism can do that for you. You know, like, like, like sure, there might not be any like sure. The good que- I mean, like you say, Buddhism can do that. There's a question there of whether it works, right? Sure. Well, but again, in Buddhism, be- because maybe like, it works because you think it works. Well, because c- within within Protestant Christianity, certainly, like this is kind of why we don't do that anymore right like and and i get that it sort of maybe is a bit of a barrier to to entry or something like that but it means that there's an extent to which as you were saying before to be a christian you have to be more serious is not quite the right word but like have a greater engagement in the faith which is not to say that christianity doesn't come to people where they're at right like that, that would be something that i would hold very deeply um but it, yeah, yeah. There's there's something kind of. I, I think there's there's reasons why some of those folk aspects have dropped out of mm. contemporary Christianity. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, interestingly, actually, to kind of riff off this a little bit. Yeah. Um, I went to some of the bigger Buddha sites. So I um, I I went down the river and I went past um Wat Arun, which is uh the one kind of the big old one. I didn't go mm-hmm. in there. I. Um, I heard that it was beautiful, and certainly on my next trip to Bangkok, I, I will attempt to go there. But I kind of ended up deciding to choose between going there one afternoon or going to Wat Pho, which is the place with the big reclining Buddha. And, and the and, soup. And the, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, fun. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I, I ended up choosing between, between there, and I ended up going to Wat Pho. And it was interesting in that I went there, and this is like the reclining Buddha. This mm-hmm. is like the big thing, the, one of the big tourist attractions. And I went there, and I felt pretty much nothing. So this is something I was going to mention before, actually. Like, you, you've talked about the, the Jade Buddha, and that, yeah. that's in this kind of suburban temple off mm. the beaten track, not a touristy place. Because that's been my experience, not exclusively, but with churches that I've been to overseas, and, and particularly in Europe, is that the the ones that have had more impact on me have been the kind of smaller chapel, out of the way thing, and not like your, your Notre Dame or mm-hmm. your, actually Westminster is beautiful. Go to Westminster if you ever get the chance. But um, like yeah, the in in a sense of my sense anyway with the smaller ones is that it's it's almost more that here's an active 
place of faith. Like mm. there's a, a deeper yeah. connection with the spirituality. Correct. Which is, yeah. It's not that it's not there in the bigger, more touristy places, but it's almost like you have to work harder to find it. Well, and it did feel not real, right? Like, yeah. And the way I was thinking about Confected? it... Confected? Confected, but more so I would say it felt like Buddhism as statecraft rather than Buddhism as religion. Oh, you know, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah so, so what what Vo is? Um, it's you know, it's right next to the Grand Palace again, which I didn't go to the Grand Palace. It's supposedly mm-hmm. a big emerald Buddha there. That's very beautiful. Um, cool. But again, had one afternoon to go to those places and kind of made it made a call. Um, but um, it's right next to the Grand Palace, and it's very much a the king lives here, and here is the temple the king has built yes. next to his house. Yep. You know, um, and the Madrid Cathedral is exactly yeah, the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's like. Yeah, it's interesting that it's like very much like, you know, I can see why it's impressive, right? The reclining Buddha is a very, very large <laughs> reclining. Yeah, it's impressive, right? But like it was a combination of all of the tourists being there, but also I think more generally this sense of like, yeah, it it felt like, yeah, it was Buddhism as an expression of the state, as an expression of the monarchy, as an expression of, you know, I am building a massive, big, gaudy, impressive Buddhist shrine and temple so that I can have spiritual credence for my for my rule of the country, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I will make this the center of Thai Buddhism so that therefore I am the center of Thai Buddhism, right? <laughs> yeah. It, that, you know, and like, and, you know, I, a friend of mine I was talking to there, you know, said, you know, yeah, it's kind of like... Um, you know, kind of like St. Peter's or kind of like, um, you know, some of those, you know, the Vatican places or whatever else that like, you know, you, you go, this is, this is beautiful and impressive, but also it feels somewhat empty because it feels very yep. political. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, but no, I completely agree with you though. The, the, the small out of the way temples were definitely much more, um, much more genuine. And, and yeah, I, it's funny, actually, I was on the, I was tossing up, I made a very last minute decision. I, I bought the boat ticket to go to Wat Arun and then decided, nah, actually, I'll go, I'll go to Wat <laughs> instead. And again, the reason I went to Wat was like this silly trying to jump online to a call at a certain time that I ended up even not even making or whatever sure. else. But like, but um, it was, it was interesting. I think I almost got more spirituality from just on the boat driving past Wat Arun, mm-hmm. which is, again, a big tourist temple, but like just felt more genuine and grounded than I did by going in and seeing the reclining Buddha. Um, and, and, yeah, and, and, and maybe in a way, um, the, my, my disappointment with, with what and with some of the kind of the, the bigger, um, the bigger Buddhist kind of stuff there almost maybe actually made stuff like the Jade Buddha more special. Yeah. And, and maybe it yep. actually really drove home for me, that real connection I had with them. Um, it, it, it's what Dhamma Mongol, if, if anyone goes to Bangkok and wants to jump on the random BTS out towards <laughs> Sukhumvit and, and go see what Dhamma Mongol. Um, but yeah. Um, but yeah. And yeah, maybe that almost made that feel more real and more yeah. genuine. And like, because it's not just the Jade Buddha there, the whole temple complex is great. They've got a, a meditation room that, you know, has a big stone Buddha and the stone Buddha was much more impressive than the, Gold Buddha and yeah, all yes. this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, do you come back from Thailand feeling more Buddhist? No. Is, is there a thing? Is there such a thing? Yeah. Yeah. So there definitely is. I mean, I, I, I think I was telling you the other night. I, I, yeah, I went to Cambodia and converted to Buddhism yeah. in Cambodia. So I definitely came back from my trip to Cambodia six years ago feeling more Buddhist. Um, I don't think I came back from Thailand feeling more Buddhist this time. It, it didn't end up being a real Buddhist 
focus trip. Um, there was one point where I was considering doing a pilgrimage out to um, uh, out, out to the west. Um, I'm blanking on the name now, but um, the the monastery where Arjun Brahm spent right. a bit of time yep. at, and yep. yeah, the kind of Arjun Char spent, you know, was was the head of that monastery for a while. I, I thought about going out there, which you know, I had about a week in hand at the end of the trip, and I was kind of tossing up what to do. Um, and essentially, I ended up choosing not to go there, mostly because I, I read the website and they were like, oh, we can't house you if you don't let us know two weeks beforehand, which is very fair, yep. but I hadn't let them know two weeks beforehand. <laughs> so if I was going to go there, I'd probably want to stay there for a week, which they do allow. Yeah, you um, just have to plan it. So I just got to plan it a bit more. Yeah, so yeah. I think I just made the call that, oh, actually, I won't do that because I haven't quite planned it well yep. enough. Um, and, you know, so I reckon... If the trip was going to be a religious trip in any way, it would have been that. Um, that being said, I have fallen in love with Thailand in a way that I had always kind of... I'd always kind of been, like, on the fence about Thailand in Southeast yep. Asia. Um, maybe it's just the the instinctive backpacker in me that wants to avoid the places everyone else goes. Um, but now I, I'm definitely on, on the Thailand train, train now in a way that I wasn't before this trip. So I'm sure there'll be more trips to Thailand in the near future, which um, which will hopefully... Maybe you know one of those trips will focus a bit more on Buddhism. I think this one was it was nice to be there, and it was nice yep. to, you know, there's a comfort I feel in being around a Buddhist country that is so ostensibly Buddhist like that. Like in a way that I don't feel in Australia or in other Western countries. Kind of like a relax, a relaxation, or yeah, or maybe just a kind of a cultural ease where I feel like you know my premises are understood. Yeah, and okay. the, the way the fundamental way that I approach the world is somewhat is somewhat there and understood and accepted um yeah and uh, and maybe that's also just by virtue of it being in Asia and there's a whole nother yeah. cult you know there's a there's a personal layer to that as well right totally um but yeah so um no I, not not a hugely religiously focused trip for me but but honestly in a weird way yes actually I'm, I'm gonna almost correct myself here. <laughs> I, I'm gonna contradict and correct myself it was not a trip where I went away and was like, oh, now I'm going to focus on Buddhism. And I came back being like, oh, yes, I'm definitely deeper in my practice. Yeah. But the element of it that was interesting was I, I was honestly really genuinely, genuinely affected by the Jade Buddha and by yeah. that kind of connection I felt with that temple. Um, you know, I'm not someone that likes amulets, right? But I bought that amulet because I genuinely felt like there was something at that temple that it had taught me that I felt like I wanted to hold on to. Mm. Um, and, you know, to mesh it up with being there for the board games tournament, I think there was a, I don't feel like I learned anything inherently new about Buddhism, but I definitely felt like I was able to bring Buddhism into a sphere of my life that I hadn't previously. Mm-hmm. And I definitely felt like I um, managed to, to connect my Buddhism with this kind of other disparate part of my life. And honestly, this other, not just the game, but also just the, the way that I live that is kind of adjacent to that and whatever else. And the, I feel like I was able to to kind bring of, Buddhism into how I live more. Yeah, know? and almost have a deeper awareness of that listening yes. to you now. Yeah, like it, it's a kind of, I didn't know what I didn't have until I realized I didn't have, like until I realized that I now had it if that makes sense well like, maybe almost i didn't know what i did have until i realized that i had it right so sure. it wasn't yeah, yeah, that yeah. It, was, it wasn't that there was something missing that yeah. i found but it was there was something that was there that i'm now more cognizant of and now that i'm more aware of and it's something in the way that i live my life that i think draws on buddhism very heavily like mm-hmm. there's a real big draw on buddhism um and it's it, it's a kind of it's almost an 
owning and embodying the way that Buddhism leads my life and the way that I live in a way that is informed by the Dharma that is different. I I think previously I felt like it was separate. I felt yeah. like the way that I lived was, you know, it was connected to my practice, but it wasn't built on my practice. Whereas now I'm like, oh no, the way that I live is built on my practice in a re- weird way. That That sounds more Buddhist to me, man. Yeah, probably yeah. is. Yeah, and so maybe it's through this podcast I'm learning it. Um, the other fun one is that um, you know, I, I now have adopted a nickname in the board game hobby of the Jade Buddha, yeah. um, which you know is a joke and is a blasphemous joke, but the Buddhists would just find it funny. So you know, we're, no, we're, fine, we're, we're yeah, cool yeah, with yeah. it. We're cool with it. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's like, but but again, that almost speaks to that. That almost speaks to like that my persona, that my presentation of who I am in the world. You do have a green hue to you. I do have a green yeah. hue, yeah. Uh, is kind of centered around Buddhism and is centered yeah. around how I am as a Buddhist in the world. And, you know, yeah, if you, you know, I think it, it's it's interesting noting that amongst a group of strangers and amongst a group of like, you know, what is the distinctive thing about me? Being a Buddhist maybe is that and how that informs my life. And, you know, everyone who I told I was a Buddhist was very able to see that. And they were mm-hmm. like, oh, of course, yeah, yeah, you're really calm. You're really chill. You, you know, you you have a real sense of groundedness and all these things that I would associate as Buddhist qualities that I seem to just give off to other people. And that's really interesting then in terms of kind of how you're describing the difference of how you feel in Thailand versus mm-hmm. here in Australia, right? Like where in Australia that is a far more unusual thing from what you were mm-hmm. saying, whereas in Thailand you kind of found it more like you, you've... I'm not, I don't know that you say that you fitted in better, but like that was kind of the like it's a it, it's not unusual to be Buddhist in Thailand. No, for sure, it's absolutely not unusual to be Buddhist um, in Thailand. Um, it's just, it's interesting then that you're saying like kind of other people notice this about you, right? Like, and I'm, it'll be interesting to see how well that holds kind of outside of Thailand as well. That yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, it. What is unusual, though, is a Christian and a Buddhist walking into a bar, which That's did happen one unusual. time. That's not unusual. That happens everywhere. Well, oh, not in man. Thailand all that often, right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, in Thailand, a Christian and a Buddhist did walk into a bar, uh, and they, they didn't walk into a ping pong show. Um, Good. Yeah, we're not going to go there. Cool. Um, and so, um, so yeah, they walk into this bar, and um, guess who's in the bar? Father Christmas. No, it's Old Mate Nasrudin. Oh, of course no, it's Old Mate Nasrudin's yeah. in the bar, yeah. Um, so Nasrudin's in the bar, and Nasrudin is pondering over this, like, big like scroll and it's like okay, written yeah. in like what looks like Chinese or Japanese you know script oh, kind of like kanji yeah, yeah he's yeah. looking at and, and and he's looking at this he's pondering it and they got to go, oh, what's going on he's like oh, I'm, I'm, I have a koan I, I, have a, I have a zen koan that I'm working on and he's like oh what does it say and it says oh it says how many zen monks does it take to change a light bulb mm. and he looks at it and he goes I've been working this for ages and I just don't have it so they all sit there and they'll think about it or whatever else and Nasrudin finally goes aha I've got it how many Zen monks does it take to change the light bulb? The oak tree in the garden. Right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a not joke, bad. It's a joke it's that makes bad. no sense. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 like, like all koans. It makes more sense than the one a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that the, the, you tacked on to the end of the episode because I told you to cut it. Great. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're welcome. Um, well, thank you very much for um, talking with me today, Jacob. Um you uh yeah so it's been nice to be back it's nice to be recording again yeah, it's good to have you back 
You can catch more jokes like that and rambling conversations like this at christianbullisbar at gmail.com. That's what I'm supposed to say. You yeah, can get correct. in touch with us there. And, um, and our music is by Kevin McLeod, who uh, I'm not sure if you're aware, Kevin McLeod actually founded the ancient Thai city of Ayutthaya. Oh, well done, Kevin. Yeah. He's been around a while. He's been around a while, yeah. We'll be around a while as well. You See you next week. Bye.